Friends, I wonder, do you live with that kind of confidence, that kind of hope, that kind of resolve? I will go to Jesus. And yet with a certain expectation that he will embrace me in his arms. Perhaps at one time in your life you had that kind of certain confidence. But I wonder, have you lost hope? If the circumstances in life have made you a little less confident that God will do for you. And as we close a new year, perhaps the things you hoped for have all crumbled in your sight. You began the year with lofty hopes and dreams and goals that you lose a certain amount of pounds. Yet the pounds are still there. That you complete a certain amount of projects. And yet the projects remain unfinished. Perhaps you had hopes that this would be the year that the Lord saved your children. Or your grandchildren. Or your spouse. Or your co-worker. And yet here they are at the end of another year still unsaved. Still in sin. Perhaps you thought that you'd be further along in your spiritual journey. And yet here you are struggling with the same things. Again and again and again. Is hope really hopeless? I wonder, have you lost hope? Well, friends, our chapter this morning in the book of Ruth is those who are feeling hopeless, who are on the cusp of giving in to hopelessness. And the Lord reminds us there is indeed hope to be had. If you have your Bibles, return with me to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. As we continue our study through this Old Testament book, four-chapter book, this morning we'll We'll look at the entire second chapter together. Using one of the Bibles under the chairs, you can find it on page 222. Ruth chapter 2. We read, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. And she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Now you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. 
And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today was Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you should keep close watch or close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. I think we see a few things in this past. We see certain movements, certain scenes that the Lord is using to make a point. And here's what I think is is the main point of our passage this morning. The main point of Ruth chapter 2. In our futility, God shows favor. Supplying far more than we can imagine. In our futility, we don't have anything. God shows favor. Supplying far more than we can imagine. As we study this passage this morning, we'll we'll see three scenes develop. And so three points to the sermon. In the first scene, we see the hidden hand of God. We see that in verses one through seven. In scene number two, we see the abundant favor of the Lord. And in scene number three, we see hope restored. Scene one, the hidden hand of God, verses one through seven. Scene number two, the abundant favor of the Lord, verses eight through 16. And scene number three, hope restored. We see that in verses 17 through 23. Number one, the hidden hand of God. The last chapter, the last verse of chapter one, really provides the setting for the rest of the book. We learned there that Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, are back in Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest season. Two women, two widows, needing to provide for themselves now that their husbands were dead. But the Lord has provided There's barley, there's grain to be harvested. The famine has ended in the land. But the narrator skillfully and slowly and even a little secretly starts to unravel yet another way the Lord is providing for these two widows. As chapter 2 begins, he, he gives us some key background information. And Naomi has a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, the text tells us, which probably means that he's, uh, he, he's financially well off and that he's an upright or moral man. He's a wealthy man and he's a noble man. And he's from the same clan as Abimelech, her deceased husband, the clan we learned back in chapter one of the Ephrathites. Naomi has come back to Judah with the men in her family 
her husband and two sons gone, and along with them any provision they would supply. But we learn that there's another man in her family, in Bethlehem, whose life the Lord has preserved. His name is Boaz. And you might think, oh, I know what's about to happen next. This story is going to wrap up pretty quickly. Maybe one or two more verses max. Next verse, we see Boaz cutting Naomi a check or cash apping her some cash to take care of her and Ruth's needs forever. I mean, wealthy family member meets needy family member. Easy solution to the problem. That's often how we want things, right? We want quick solutions, easy solutions, transactional instead of relational solutions to life's problems. But the author slows us down. From this info here in verse 1, he zooms out to show a broader perspective of what's going on. It's as if he wants us to, to, to lock the details of verse 1 in our minds. Remember who I tell you who Boaz is here. Keep that locked in your mind and watch how God unfolds things. The details of verse 1 of a Boaz or of his relation to Naomi are unknown to Ruth. All she knows are the details of verse 22 of the previous chapter. That she and Naomi are in Bethlehem by themselves at the beginning of harvest season, and they need to eat. And so Ruth goes out to work. Friends, that's just a good instinct to have. If you are in need and are able, then it's good to go work to provide for your needs. Now, some of us work inside the home. Some of us work outside the home, providing for various needs, whether financial or familial. But work is a good thing. God made work. And God made us to work as a reflection of him, who the scriptures frequently show is a worker for his people. We see that even in this book. Ruth requests for her mother-in-law, Naomi, in verse 2, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Let me go find some food for us, Ruth asked. It's an impressive request, especially when you consider that Ruth is a foreigner. Notice how again and again that fact is highlighted by calling her Ruth the Moabite. She's in a strange land, doesn't know anybody, and it's from a people who were long-held enemies of the people of Israel. And yet... She boldly desires to go out and make something of this new life in Judah to preserve her and Naomi's lives. The act of gleaning here that, that Ruth seeks to do was one of getting the scraps, the leftovers, collecting the grain that harvesters left behind or dropped from their bundles when they gathered the grain. And it wasn't just common practice. It was a way that God provided for his people in his law. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19, God commanded the people of Israel, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the land, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And again, in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 10, the Lord says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap up, to the edge, reap up to the edge of the field. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. For I am the Lord your God. It gives us a picture into Naomi and Ruth's lives without husbands. They were not well off. They were widows in need. 
poor. With Ruth committed to go out and at least get scraps to help them. But behind her actions is God's care. Hundreds of years before Ruth and Naomi lived, the Lord, who gave the great commands not to have any other gods before him, and not to kill or to steal or to cheat or to lie, also laid down a law not to be greedy, but to help the needy, to leave some of the leftovers from the land, to feed the less fortunate, so that they might be sustained. Behind the widow and sojourner Ruth's request to her widowed mother-in-law to go glean is God's command to let the widow and sojourner glean. It's a testimony to how God helps the helpless. He feeds the hungry. He cares for the poor and for the needy. It's comforting to know that even if you find yourself today in an unfortunate situation, that God has already planned beforehand to take care of you in your misfortune. Life's situations don't throw God for a loop. He's never scrambling or adjusting, trying to figure out how to help you in a certain predicament. He is the one who sent the predicament. And he sends the provision for the predicament. He cares for us. If you doubt that, then just keep on reading. To Ruth's request to go glean in the fields and hopefully find someone who will show favor to her and let her glean, Naomi tells her to go. And verse 3 says she set out into the fields to go glean after the reapers. Now, before she left, she didn't open up her laptop and Google best fields to glean near me. <laughs> she didn't have access to Yelp right. to see which fields had the highest ratings for favorableness to foreigners. And as she set out, she didn't have an iPhone open to the Waze app to navigate her path to the most productive land or the most pleasant landowner. No, she simply set out. And this Moabite woman, who had no knowledge of the people or the paths in Israel, just so happened, verse 3 tells us, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. The same Boaz that we, the readers, learned about in verse 1. Of all the possible fields to reap in. She happened to come upon the field that belonged to the man who just so happened to be related to her mother-in-law, who just so happened to be from the same clan as her deceased father-in-law and her husband, and who just so happened to be both a wealthy man and a noble man. What good luck! Oh, what a good God. You see, the scriptures don't subscribe to this ethereal, mystical thing the world often lives by and relies on called luck Amen. or chance. Right. In the scriptures, things don't just happen. God causes them to happen. God permits them to happen. God orchestrates their happenings. Right. Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16:9, the, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his every step. God is sovereignly at work, working in and through every situation to accomplish his plans. Amen. Friends, you didn't just happen to be in the family you're in. God put you in that family. You didn't just happen to be at the job you're in. God put you at that job. You didn't just stumble upon this church. God put you in this church. He is in control of everything. He brought Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem. But he did not bring them back to desert them. No, he's providing for them. 
His hidden hand behind bringing Ruth out to this field owned by this man. And at this moment in time, I mean, Ruth just so happens to come to Boaz's field as Boaz just so happens to be returning to it. I mean, look at verse four. The author means to highlight the God arranged occurrence of this whole thing by saying, behold, Look here. Surprise, surprise. As Ruth came from the city of Bethlehem to Boaz's field, behold, Boaz came from the city of Bethlehem back to his field. Perhaps Boaz went into town to take care of some business, to do some banking, to to pay some bills. You know, the type of stuff you used to have to physically go someplace to before the Internet. Anyways, he he comes back to his field at just the time that Ruth is there. An hour or two later, if he got stuck in in mule traffic, he might have been late. But their schedules align. Their settings align. Here they are, both in the field at the same time. It's setting up what can truly be called a match made in heaven. Boaz comes and he greets his workers in verse 4. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they respond. It's the first time the Lord's name is mentioned in the chapter. But that hardly means he hasn't been active. His presence is felt. His provision understood even by Boaz and his workers. This is a workplace where people acknowledge God. I think the author records this brief exchange so that we too, the reader, acknowledge God's hand at work in this field. What's happening here is under Yahweh's control. Boaz comes back to his field and finds a stranger working among it. Obviously, he's an observant owner. He knows who works for him. And so he asked in verse 5, whose young woman is this out in the field? Uh, Who does she belong to? Who does she work for? The servant in charge responds in verse 6. She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. This strange woman isn't so strange after all. She's kin to Boaz's kin, Naomi. Remember, he's a relative to Naomi's husband, and here's a relative to Naomi, and he's a relative to Naomi as well. All right, and here he is. He just happens to be in this field. She just happens to be in his field. Ruth doesn't know whose field it is, but of all the fields... Of all the places in Israel, she's come here. She's asked to glean here. We have to ask ourselves, what is God up to? And how will Boaz respond? What we learn is with favor. With favor. Which leads us to point number two, the abundant favor of the Lord. Now just think about where we are in this unfolding story. Boaz is the first character in this book who's confronted with the relational ties that exist between he and Naomi and Ruth. When Ruth asked Naomi to go out into the fields, Naomi didn't send her to Boaz's field. When Ruth wandered onto this field, she didn't know it belonged to Boaz. She didn't even know who he was. And as Boaz approached his field, He didn't know who this new woman working on it was. But now he's been told that she's the daughter-in-law to Naomi, who he's related to. And as we'll see soon, that relationship has some potential obligations to it. And so if Boaz were a cynic, he might be thinking the worst here. Uh Uh-huh, they're back in town need some help, and here they come to me. I know why they're here. 
She won a handout. You would think that a man like Boaz, with means, with, with wealth, in an effort to protect that wealth and to ward off any smoochers, might make himself invisible in this situation. Upon learning of Ruth's identity, he might tell his reapers, keep that woman away from me. Tell her I ain't here, I'll be back soon. You might think that just as quickly as he came to the field, he might turn back around and go into town in order to avoid Ruth. But the scene shifts from Boaz learning who Ruth is in verses 6 and 7 to then going to her in verse 8, engaging her. Friends, what do you do when you see people in need? When you know of people's needs? Does your heart grow more calloused? Does your first instinct go to self-protection or self-preservation? Or does it go to see how you might be of help? 1 John 3 verse 17 says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see, God's love is demonstrated by helping those in need. It's what he's done for us. Not simply when we've been in need of food, but a far greater need, in need of salvation. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When God saw us in our helpless estate and in need of a savior, he didn't harden his heart. He didn't look down on us with scorn from his exalted position in heaven. No, he stooped down and came near to us. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He came from heaven to earth to help us in our helplessness, to give us the life, the new life that we all needed. Though we rebelled against him, Jesus came to us and he lived for us. He laid down his life and he died for us. He rose again so that we might be with him, that we might be brought near to God. God goes out to the needy and welcomes them in. That's what Boaz does here. The knowledge of Ruth doesn't cause him to run away from responsibility, but to run towards it, towards her. He tells her in verse 8, Listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and, and at, watch after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And Boaz tells this woman that she is welcome to glean in his field. And not only on this day, but every day in the harvest season. He doesn't want her to worry about having to go find food on some other field. But he opens the opportunity to glean among his women daily. And he pledges to protect her. He charges young men not to touch or harass her. Not only are they to not touch her, they are to serve her, give her water, give her drink, supply for her. When she's thirsty, they'll draw water for her. All you need to worry about, Ruth, is gleaning. I'll take care of the rest. Boaz goes out of his way to provide for Ruth's every need. But why? Why? Uh, that's what Ruth wants to know. I mean, this kind of behavior is not normal. Not only is she a poor woman, she's a foreigner, a Moabite. Why, she asked in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? One answer is given by Boaz in verse 11. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. 
and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Ruth's reputation has preceded her. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, a, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Ruth doesn't have any physical riches, but she's got something far better, a rich reputation. She hadn't shown kindness to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She hadn't pledged her undying loyalty to her and to her God in order to be seen by others. But Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that the good that's done in secret would be rewarded by the Lord. God has put Ruth's devotion on display, holding up this foreign woman as a model to all of Israel of what true devotion actually looks like. It's not as simply just going through all these religious rituals, all your sacrifices, all your worship, all your phony worship. That's not what true religion and devotion is, Israel. Instead, he holds up a foreign woman as the picture of what piety looks like, as the picture of what it is to worship God, having the right attitude and rightly treating people made in God's image. I mean, even the way Ruth is described here is interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's using similar terms to describe the experience of Israel's forefather, Abraham, as part of his devotion to God. He left his father's home. And he went to a land that he did not know before with the promise that God would bless him and make from him a great nation through which all the families and peoples of the earth would be blessed. And here's Ruth, a woman from the nations who has done similarly, who has left father and mother, who has left her homeland, not just to follow her mother-in-law, but to follow the Lord. And it's not been forgotten. It's not being minimized. Boaz assures her of that. As he blesses her in verse 12, asking that the Lord repay her for all that she's done and that she be given a full reward by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings she's come to find refuge. The beautiful, beautiful description of God. Boaz here, just as Moses before him and many of the psalmists, likens the Lord to a bird to an eagle who protects its young under its wings, sheltering them from danger and from harm. That's what the Lord does for his people. And not just for Israelites, but for all who run to him for refuge. He will do that for a Moabite woman. He will do that for you. But you must run to him. Go to him. Friends, what's keeping you from doing that? Is it because you think of God as some angry, crude, destructive deity ready to pounce on you? Well, some of that is true. God is angry and will destroy and pounce on those who stay away from him, who continue to turn away from him in sin. But for those who recognize their need of him, and run to him for refuge. He helps, he protects, he hides, he saves them. He shows favor to them. Notice how favor plays a prominent role in, in this chapter. In verse 2, Ruth sought to, to go glean in the fields of, of one in whose sight she'd find favor. In verse 10, she asked Boaz, why have I found favor? In your eyes. And in verse 13, she says to Boaz, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servants. But the favor that Ruth experiences here from the hand of Boaz is but an extension of the Lord's abundant favor to her. Remember, it's the Lord that Naomi prayed to back in chapter 1, verse 8, praying that he would deal kindly with Ruth and Orpah 
as they had dealt kindly with her dead sons and with her, and praying that the Lord would grant them rest by providing them a home with a husband. Naomi thought, though, that that could only happen back in Moab. Orpah did, too, so she returned. But here is the Lord answering Naomi's prayer in Bethlehem, dealing kindly with Ruth as she has dealt kindly with Naomi, and on the cusp of providing her rest by providing her a husband here in the land of Judah, in the person of Boaz. But that's still to come. All Ruth knows now of Boaz is of his kindness and his generosity, which only multiplies. Not only does he grant her free access to grain and to glean in his fields, and not only does he grant her protection as she gleans, he even invites her to come dine with him in verse 14. And he feeds her his best food, roasted grain and bread and wine, as much as she wants until she's full and satisfied and has lots left over. <laughs> Your mind just remembers why the, the gospel writers write with specificity that Jesus feeds the 5,000 until they all eat and are satisfied and have some left over. The Bible is picking up on all these things of what God does for those who are in need. Right. Boaz provides for Ruth here abundantly. And then he even instructs his reapers in, in verse 15 to, to go let her glean some more. Even among the sheaves and pull out a bunch of bundles for her to get. As much as she wants. A small picture of the grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, upon grace that the Lord pours out on us. He sees our need and invites us to his table and spreads out a feast for us. Think of the father of the hungry prodigal who at his lowest point returned home in Luke chapter 15. And he wasn't met with scraps or mere leftovers. The father said, kill the fattened calf. Bring out the best food and let us feast and eat and celebrate. Think of what Christ did for us. He didn't simply die to save us from our sins and leave us off somewhere on our own, forgiven but forgotten. He didn't simply meet our need. He went above and beyond it. He invited us to his table even to fellowship with him forever. He is a great host who calls us to come be with him in his home where he will lavish blessings upon us. Amen. Saints, do you know your need of salvation, which was met by Christ? Great as that is, it's only a portion of the kindnesses that the Lord has in store for you. I mean, think of Ephesians chapter 2. When Paul talks about our great need, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And it talks about Christ's great provision. But God made us alive together with Christ. But that's not even the best. Paul says, so that in the coming ages, he might pour out on us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. Like the best is still to come. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace only in the presence of the Lord. God abundantly provides. Don't let people fool you into thinking that God is some miser, that God is stingy, that God don't want you and don't love you. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that. When you come to the Lord, he says, come. Come to me all who are thirsty. Come to me all who have need of eat, and I will give you everything you desire and more. The Lord cares for us. His favor for his own is an endless ocean. Ruth experiences just a taste of that. And so have we. And what should it produce in us? Hope. Hope. Knowing that whatever life has been up to this point, hard as it is, hard as it may be, the Lord is mindful of us. He knows what we're going through. And he has plans for us. 
to take care of us better even than we can ask. So we can have hope. Which leads to point number three, hope restored. Point number three, hope restored. In verse 17, we, we read of the result of Boaz's and the Lord's abundant, abundant kindness to Ruth. At the end of the day, she gathered up all her grain and it equaled out to an ephah of barley, roughly 30 pounds of grain. Ruth set out to glean maybe enough for the next day, but left with enough food for the next couple of weeks. Verse 18 tells us that she took it up and went back into the city to go back home to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth is probably excited. I can't wait to get back and show her what I got. But consider Naomi's experience on the other side. She hasn't been privy to any of the events that have happened in this day. And so while Ruth is going back home full of hope, Naomi may be at home wrestling with hopelessness. I mean, consider her thought process. As she sent Ruth out that morning, perhaps she worried all day long about her daughter-in-law's safety. I mean, Boaz had hinted that there were fields where harm could come upon a woman like her. Something that Ruth, or Naomi, echoes herself later in verse 22. But not only her safety, but their future may have been on Naomi's mind. She sent her away to glean, to gather scraps. I mean, whatever she brought back would only be meager portions to have to be gone out and gotten again the next day, and the next day, and the day after that. How long could they repeat this scenario before there would finally be no more scraps to be gleaned? Would this be their life forever? One of utter destitution? Perhaps as she was jotting down calculations of how much she'd need to ration from whatever Ruth brought home to, to make it stretch for as long as possible. Or perhaps as she was down on her knees praying to the Lord, crying out to God to help them in their desperate situation. She lifted up her eyes and turning the corner onto their street was Ruth, barely able to walk, the large barrel of grain causing her to shuffle up the street at a, at a short pace. And upon seeing what she brought back home, Naomi doesn't even ask if she needs a hand. She doesn't ask about her safety. She doesn't even exchange pleasantries. How was your day? She only has one question for Ruth. Verse 19, where in the world did you glean today? Where have you worked? The whole scene is a kind of visual display that the lenses through which Naomi has been looking through life are a little misadjusted. Remember back at the end of chapter one, she testified that she left Bethlehem full and the Lord had brought her back empty. Not acknowledging that she really wasn't empty. She had Ruth who returned with her. And here's Ruth who left the house that morning her hands empty. But as she's returned home, her arms are full of grain. She's got more than they immediately need, more than Naomi could have ever hoped or imagined. Where did it all come from? Naomi is eager to know. Blessed be that man who took notice of you. Tell me his name. I'll send him a thank you card. I'll pray for him. And let's make sure you visit him again if he'll have you in the future sometime. A sense of sorrow has turned into joyful surprise at the amazing kindness that some man has shown to this foreigner, Ruth, and by extension to her mother-in-law, Naomi. But this joy is only going to multiply and spill out into praise. Ruth 
replies to Naomi at the end of verse 19. The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. At the mention of the name, think of the flood of emotions and thoughts filling Naomi's mind. Ruth still doesn't know who this man is other than a face and a name and a display of kindness. But Naomi knows what the narrator told us in verse 1, that he's a wealthy relative. And not only that, she explained to Ruth in verse 20, he is one of our family's redeemers. Just as God had, had set up laws about gleaning to care for the less fortunate in the Old Testament, so he set up laws to perpetuate a family's name and inheritance in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25, the Lord instructed that if an Israelite became poor and had to sell his land, then his nearest relative should come and redeem it, buy it back in order to keep the land within the family. A similar concept related to marriage in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6, where the Lord instructed that if an Israelite died without a son, then the brother of the deceased man should marry his widow and give her a child so that the family line would continue and not die out. Here is Ruth having her husband dead. She's a widow. And her husband's brother has died as well. But God has kept alive a close relative one qualified to be one of the family's redeemers. And now we see why the author keeps stressing that Boaz is of the clan of Elimelech. Why Naomi didn't seek this man out as soon as they came to Bethlehem, we don't know. I mean, if she knew that he was a family redeemer, why not go to him sooner? We're not sure. Perhaps it was pride, not wanting to beg, or maybe it was hopelessness not thinking that anyone cared to help. But with a, a word, Boaz, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi's heart is warmed. Any hopelessness has been transformed to hopefulness. I mean, look at Naomi's response to it all in verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Yes, may God bless Boaz. She knows now exactly the man who took notice of Ruth. But more, may God be praised, whose kindness, Naomi says, has not forsaken the living, her and Ruth, or the memory of the dead, her deceased husbands and sons. Although all the men in her life are gone, there is hope that the Lord might still bring about provision and protection and even a seed through this man. Where previously Naomi's only testimony was that the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. Here she's able to say, yes, even with all the bitterness, look at his abundant kindness. Naomi sent Ruth out to look for favor from someone who could take care of them for a few days. God led her to a man who could transform their entire lives. From the mention of a name, of a man who was a redeemer, Brings up hope and joy. Amen. Friends, there's still a name of a man who is a redeemer. His name isn't Boaz, but he comes from Boaz's line. His name is Jesus, whom God has given us not simply to care for our physical poverty, but our spiritual poverty and bankruptcy. God has given him to provide for us, not simply to fix our broken lives, but to give us new abundant lives. Amen. He has come to redeem us, not simply from a bad situation, but from the bondage of sin and Satan and eternal death itself. Amen. And to give us eternal life. 
And when we hear his name and come to know him and all that he's done for us, what should spring up in us is hope and joy. No matter what's going on in life, God has not forsaken you. Need proof, Naomi? Look here at Boaz, at God's provision through him. And says, God, no matter what's going on in life, has not forsaken you. Need proof? Look at Jesus and God's provision for you through him. God will never forsake you. Jesus promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. In verse 21, Ruth goes on to tell her mother-in-law that Boaz has invited her back to finish out the harvest season. The kindness he's shown to her is not a one-time kindness. The encounter they had together was not a one-time encounter. God is moving to make this once barren family full again. Who could have known that this day would end like this? But friends, God is often full of surprises. The question is, will we trust him? Will we believe that he is able to provide far more abundantly than anything we can ask or think? And he desires to do so. The Lord cares for the needy. He cares for you. Will you trust in him? Lord, we thank you for your provision to us. That though we are weak and needy, though we are deficient, Lord, you provide for us. Lord, we thank you that you navigate all our paths, Lord. There is no randomness to life. You are a sovereign God who controls everything from the birds of the air, Lord, to our very lives, where you look at us tenderly with care. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our trust in you. Lord, for those who don't know you, we pray that you would give them the gift of faith to believe in you. Lord, they, they would not look for other crutches to lean on, but they would lean upon you, the Lord Almighty. You would grant hope and joy and strength and endurance. Give us Jesus, we pray, Lord, in his fullness. We pray all this in his name. Amen.